Boag World is brought to you by headscape.co.uk and shopify.com, a designer-friendly e-commerce solution. For more information, go to shopify.com forward slash Boag World. On this week's show, we share some highlights from South by Southwest, discuss homeworking, and interview Rob Borley about project management. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Hello, and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello, Hello and welcome to the 158th episode of BioWorld.com, podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. We've gone from a panel of six to the two of us again. Hello, yeah, Marcus. Normality returns. Hello, Paul. It's good to be back in Blighty. It is, actually. I'm still not quite over my jet lag, though. No, neither <laughs> am I. It was like I came in this morning and said to the lads, uh, Dave and Craig, um, two of our developers, came with us to South by. And I said, you still suffering a bit from jet lag? No, I haven't had any jet lag at all. Young people. Craig went to a gig the night, we, the same day we flew in. Young people, they get right up your nose, don't they? They certainly With their do. their fitness and, and youngness and... <laughs> youngnicity. <laughs> youngnicity. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but we disapprove of it. Gah, grumpy old man. Yeah, so I'm still a bit... Uh, yeah. I had bad light last night, actually. Did you? Yeah. I'm, I'm, sleep, I'm just sleeping. All the time. <laughs> well, no, no. I'm, I'm like, uh, I think on on the Thursday I fell asleep at eight o'clock in the evening. Friday was ten o'clock, and it's been ten o'clock. Yes, yesterday I went to bed at ten o'clock. Oh, uh, yeah. bless! And then woke up at sort of seven, thinking oh, I don't want to get out of bed yet. It's like nine hours sleep. Mm. Hey, that's boring, really. That is. Uh, why, why people are interested in our sleep patterns? I have no idea. Well, they're, they're not. They're not. No, they're not. <laughs> they're just being forced to listen to it. Yes. So, um, yeah, South by was really good. Really it was. good time. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit when we hit the news segment of the show. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping game. Headscape's still recruiting. We're still looking for a, um, server-side developer, um, with all the normal criteria. Enthusiastic, talented, doesn't want to work for money that kind of thing um so yeah if you're interested in finding out more about that um you can find information uh on the boag world site and there'll be a link from the show notes at boagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 158 um i don't think i've got any more intro today i think it's gonna be a fast show today i'm feeling fast and efficient yeah okay. so should we hurtle on into the news yeah, I don't like this fast and efficient malarkey, though. Is it not not your current state of mind? No. <laughs> I'd like to go, uh, a lot, like I normally do. Okay, well, let's move on to the news. What? Come on. To the news. Efficient. Uh, move sure? on. News. Come on. Now. Now. Okay. Okay, so let's kick off the news segment by talking a bit about South by Southwest, which is the um, massive web design conference we've just been to in Austin, Texas. Um, it's Too prob- big. Too big, is it? Yep. Is that your conclusion? There yep. were 10,000, weren't there? Uh, not necessarily from the amount of people, although that did rather cause problems at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you went, there was a queue of, a, of at least 100 people. Yes. Um, but no, no, too, too many things to see. Yes. You know, at the main slots, 10, 11, 30, or whatever it was, there would be 20 different talks to go and see. Yeah. Like, well, uh, I don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> you just can't choose with that amount, or, can you? I really want to see that one and that one. Yes. Oh, that happened loads. Yeah. So there were just, you know, just too many things that were conflicting with one another. I mean, that's really kind of, you know, I felt like we needed to come back and we needed to, to, to talk about what happened at South by Southwest and what was the big news of, of the year. But it's actually, as you say, it's quite hard to tell because you can only go to a finite number of, of um, sessions. And to be honest, even if you could go to all of them, I don't think you really get much of a sense of all that's going on because... A lot of the real conference kind of happens in the parties and the corridors and stuff like that. And in fact, on a number of occasions this year, there were spontaneous panels breaking out. Did you see that via Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I, even though the the panels and talks that I saw, the majority of which were good, I got a feeling that there was a lot of <coughs> sort of discontent about the quality of the podcast in particular. The podcast? The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, was the Freudian. Yeah. Our podcast uh, was poor. Uh, yes. well, hey, <laughs> we were actually we, we were complimented on our particular slot. Yes, um, and I then, take all the credit for that, even though I, neither of us uh, said much talk. Well, I really didn't say anything. So I was like hammering away on the keyboard. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, there was a lot of a lot of complaint about delivery. Which, to be fair, if you're a technical person and you're a technical expert and you're going to talk to a conference about your technical expertise, then whether you're a good talker or not is actually irrelevant. But it, there was a lot of unprofessionalism as well. A lot of, oh, it doesn't work. And, yeah. Uh, oh, well, we'll just sort of skip over that bit. And you're thinking, people have paid a lot of money to go to this conference. Yeah. Um, it should be as slick and as professional. And, uh, and and I want to be, for some, at least some of it, entertained as well. I want to go out thinking, wow. Yeah, um, see, I didn't get particularly that impression. But there was a lot of people talking about it. And the big mm. problem, I think, for me was was um, the number of people. Mm. And... Uh, that the the quality some of the panels really stood out mm. so as a result they filled up instantly yes um so that's where a lot of these spontaneous panels appeared from is because people were kind of milling around going yeah, i can't in. get in there was a couple of times we couldn't get no in. uh which is you know again you've paid money for this yeah so put it in it's a bigger ridiculous. room mm. um but uh, I, I also found with some so i don't i don't like panel formats no, I'd agree. Unless, <coughs> unless there's a punch-up, which I'm looking at the notes. Um, <laughs> which there was uh, once or twice. Was on a couple of occasions. Then, then it's great. But for the vast majority of the time, it's, it's one person repeating what the last person said. Yeah. I would much rather see one person who spent a lot, who's put a lot of effort into, that, this, into their presentation because they're nervous. It's just me. Yeah, exactly. Take uh, Paul Annette's um, mm. talk, the guy from Clear Left, who did a really amazing talk on kind of Easter eggs and design twists and ooh, that's clever kind of stuff. Mm. You know, he was just up there by himself. He obviously put a huge amount of preparation into it and it mm. was, you know, by far one of the best talks, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah very so, entertaining. Yeah, but talking about the panels, I mean, you're right, they range from the du- uh, downright dull to uh, once or twice all out flame, fr- flame wars yes tell us a bit about um, is spec work evil because I missed that one and you went in and that seemed to be quite heated for- yes I sat at the back on that one there was a guy from a website <coughs> called Crowdspring which is basically one of these sites that um, allows businesses I mean for the I, I, I got the impression he kept saying oh well big big companies use this site and well, I'm sure maybe one does yeah um but for it was um, he used the term mom and pop businesses yeah. that were, who need a logo or whatever. So they'll go on and say, I've got $250 to spend. You guys all design me a logo uh, and we'll pick the best one and then we'll pay you. Yeah. Classic. So everybody Classic else. Classic unpaid spec work stuff. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, as he pointed out, there are thousands of people using this site from both the delivery of designs and from businesses wanting, you know, wanting a design of some yeah. sort. Um, and, there, and there was a couple of guys on the stage who were kind of representing this, this area of spec work. There was a couple of people who were kind of moderating and there was a couple of designers, right. one of which was a guy called David Carson, who, to be fair, was a total snob, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but was also a very articulate snob, um, a design snob. I, mean, I, I, I completely agree with his position, but he was overdoing it to make the point. Which, yeah, which was, which was what made yeah. it a good Exactly. Panel. And at one point he called the guy from Crowdspring a bottom dweller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, you know this was and it, of course it, you know and there's a, there was a lot of support in the crowd as well which really surprised me for the Crowdspring model really yeah people getting up and calling this David Carson guy I can't believe your arrogance and, blah, blah, blah. and it's like well you know the bottom line here is sites like that encourage people to do work for free and you know I would say to any one of these people who were standing up to, to ask them questions you know I don't know what you do for a living but would you do it for free yeah no Basically, mm. so uh, that, I mean that's that's the bottom line for me with spec. Well, I mean we talked about spec work lots before on the show, and yeah. and and you, but, but highly entertaining panel. Yes, I bet. <laughs> yes, I bet. So I mean, I'm sort of fed up. I missed that one. The other so so Paul Nets was a really good mm. one. I uh, the reason I think his his strike such a chord with me is that. I think we, we kind of, as a headscape, probably neglect those kinds of bells and whistles, those clever little things that make you go, ooh. Well, I talked to Paul about it afterwards, and he said, well, so do they, on corporate work. Yeah, yeah, but there's no reason why you can't put some of that stuff in. Yeah. I mean, he gave, you know, obviously there's a famous one, which is his Silverback website, and, um, you know, about how you've got the vines in the background that move when you resize the browser were recreated window. in person on stage. Yes, <laughs> which is very amusing. And then, but he showed loads of other examples like um, the FedEx logo and the, the hidden arrow in the FedEx logo. Well, and the hidden bear. Bear in the, the, the Toblerone, yeah. I've never seen that before. No, neither have I. But he showed <laughs> some really gorgeous examples. That was a very inspiring one. And again, the, the, going back to what you were saying earlier about single presenters being best, my, you know, Paul's was one of my favourite. My other favourite was um, Leah from Adaptive Path that did one on being a UX team of one. Um, and it, although I think her title was a bit misleading, to be honest, it was a very good, very good presentation by her. She was basically talking about that design shouldn't be a solitary activity um, and that actually, you know, the creative process shouldn't be down to inspiration of one individual. So it was a really good presentation that she gave. Um, and she talked about ways of drawing everybody uh, involved in a project together and, and getting them to do wireframing together. And that, you know, it was brilliant. And actually very relevant to us at Headscape again, because we've encountered two problems recently that I think this will probably solve. One is the fact that developers are concerned about not being involved early enough in the process. Yep. And this would include them because everybody sits down together to wireframe stuff up. Um, and the second is who's responsible for wireframing? Is it the IA person, you know, that's done all the stakeholder interviews and all the rest of it, or is it the designer? Well, again, that ceases to be a problem when you all do it together. I think what I liked about this one is it was very pragmatic um, a presentation, which is always a really good thing, hmm. um, and with lots of practical hands-on approaches of stuff you could do. So I'm looking forward to applying all that kind of stuff. So South by really, that's, that was our experience of South by. Uh, there was loads more than that. I know, but that, they, those were the bits that excited me the most. I've, I, uh, I mean, there were lots of lots of other talks we went to see. Um, 
I would say the one that I would want to add to that, which I found very inspiring, and just from a, a point of view of getting things done under pressure can often make thing, really good things happen. Right. We all talk about planning things properly. <coughs> yeah. But um, watching the guys who did the Obama campaign... Yeah. Well, but basically, they threw out all the rules, yeah. didn't they? No yeah. user testing, no... Yeah. You know, they didn't even have a development server. They were just posting stuff straight exactly. to live. So that was, that was great. Mm. Um, and we ate far too much steak. Yes, which is always... <laughs> well, not always a good thing, actually. It no, ceased no. to be a good thing after a while. Exactly. So let's move on. Enough of, of such gloating and rubbing people's noses in it that, who weren't there. Let's move on to other news. Um, next up is... The fact there's been a lot written about browsers over the past week. Um, obviously, the, the biggest news story is the fact that IE8 has been officially released. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world, IE8. <laughs> Blinking in the light of a new dawn and all the rest of it. Um, obviously, it's been in release candidate for a while, but it's now been rolled out. It'll no doubt be a while before it's an automatic update or any of the rest of it, but it'll probably happen eventually. I haven't um, downloaded it yet. Have you not? No. Don't Neither have I. don't know what it looks like. Well, no it's like IE, but with other stuff in. Does it look like IE7? No. Well, kind of, yes. A little bit. It's nothing, nothing mind blowing. I mean, the, re- the rendering engine is a big one that you obviously care about. It's mm. got, um, you know, it's got things called web slices in, which is um, a bit like microformats in a way. And there's a few other bits and pieces you can check it out. I'm not going to cover it here. I'm fed up with IE8. It's fine. <laughs> I'm bored with it now. Other things, mine that uh, have come along this week. .NET have um, hopped on the um, dump IE6 bandwagon. Um, which, to be honest, gets up my nose a little bit, this whole... I mean, you heard last week's show and what Jeremy Keith um, said about, well, we shouldn't be dropping these uh, IE6. We should just be providing them with a more basic style sheet. And I have to say, I'm very much in favour of that. I reject your question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you have a non-question. Well, which is, is, it was a very fair comment. And I was really pleased Jeremy brought it up because I, Daniel started talking about it and mm. didn't go down the route I expected of saying, well, we shouldn't be dumping IE6. So it was good to hear Jeremy bring it up. And I, I'm just fed up with these campaigns to dump ie6 and I, I i'm I, you know i love the guys at net magazine to bits but i do feel they're just trying to gain some popular opinion among designers by pandering to their far more importantly the current net magazine refers to you and me well i don't care about <laughs> whatever um yeah so next up uh, and the other browser related um stories microsoft have released something called super preview have you seen this marcus nope this is kind of cool basically they finally released a tool that allows you to run different versions of ie simultaneously side by side in fact even on top of one another you can do like overlay things so you can have i6 and i7 running side by side it's only in a kind of alpha stroke beta version at the moment mm. um uh, and it's going to in future support ie8 and other browsers that will follow in due time um so really indispensable tool for for testing um multiple versions of ie downside no max support at the moment but other than that looking pretty good it's good to see them doing that it's about bloody time too mm. to be honest oh yes that reminds me apologies for the swearing in last week's show we probably should have <laughs> warned people before they started listening to it i didn't swear no i don't think I it was that it. one question that i read verbatim without actually censoring it before i said it which is what is the biggest 
F yeah. up you yeah. ever did. Ah, yes. And I just read it straight off the bit of paper without actually thinking. <laughs> anyway, and then, of course, everybody continued to use the word. Anyway, uh, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, finally, on browser support type or browser kind of stories, SitePoint has um, written a brief outline about how to create the perfect browser testing suite. So it looks at the various... Um, tools available, browser simulators, um, virtual machines, desktop browser emulators, etc., etc. So that's worth checking out. All links to all that stuff, obviously, is in the show notes um, that I mentioned earlier. Browser testing is basically a pain in the neck, and nobody has yet solved this issue for me. There, there, there needs to be one magic tool that lets me test all of them in one nice contained Both, yeah, way. You just sort of plug in, type a URL, and it, and it goes tick, 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 tick. No, tick, no, stop. no. <laughs> that would be great. But I'm happy. I just want to have to look at it. I want a tool that just lets me easily toggle between all these different browsers. And if someone solves this in a really good way, I would pay a lot of money for that tool. That's worth a lot of money to us as Headscape, having an easy way of doing all that. Why doesn't Headscape develop it then? There because you go, new product idea. Because it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. And they're not up to it, are they? No, they're not. <laughs> they're just not talented enough here at Headscape. <laughs> right, let's move on to um, my next story. A few weeks ago, I wrote about the importance of simplicity on on your website, mm-hmm. and we talked about it on the podcast as well, as I remember. Yes, we did. Um, now, Jerry McGovern this week has written a perfect case study that, um, that it's almost like he read my article and went, I want to support that Paul Bag and what he's saying. Um, and so he's written... Do you think a, that's what happened? Well, I have to say, there was <laughs> one point right at the beginning where he did it did sound like he was quoting me. But he didn't actually reference me. So I'll pretend he was because it, it makes me feel cool. Okay. So, um, yes, he, he, basically what he's written is a, is a case study, um, which was what my article was lacking. Um, so it, it's a post called Removing Poor Quality Content Increases Customer Satisfaction. And it's talking about a Microsoft website, which consists of, can you believe this, staggering 10 million pages Right, and out of those ten million pages, three million have never been viewed by a single person ever. Ever. Well, at least that's my interpretation of what Jerry has said. Um, So, really, the case (laughs) study that he's given is about the Microsoft Office team who decided to have a blitz of their site and start removing irrelevant pages. And according to Jerry, um, he, he writes, by weeding the garden, the top task pages became easier to find. Uh, but just as importantly, it became harder to find minor task pages when you were looking for top task pages. In other words, you, weren't, you, were, you avoided all the noise of mm. the site. It's a really good article that really kind of goes into a lot of depth about um, how simplicity rocks, basically, and how we should be removing stuff from our website, not adding it. Final news story today is a post from Richard Rutter, um, a very good one, about introdu- introducing microformats to kind of non-geeks and businessy people. And it came about because he was at a, um, a client meeting recently and he found himself explaining what microformats were and struggling to do so in non-technical terms and not having any reference material out there to say, oh, just go and read this article. There was mm. nothing like it. So basically he sat down and written something himself. Really good. If you're struggling to understand the point of microformats or what microformats are 
are about, then it's definitely worth a read. However, I have to say, I'm not entirely sure whether it's necessary to tell clients that you're implementing microformats on their site. The cost of adding them is so small that it's not going to affect the budget particularly, and the benefits are quite hard to explain. So you may be better off just doing it rather than bothering to explain any of it. But there you go. Um, it is good to check out if you yourself are not particularly convinced about microformats yet and you need someone to explain what they are and how they work. Richard does a good job at that. Right, so that rounds up the news today. So I reckon we can now hurtle on into um, our interview, which this week is with our very own Rob Borley. He's been on the show a number of times. Um, in his previous incarnation as technical person, he's and now changed job and he's now a project manager. Yeah. We wheel him out when we haven't got anyone else. Yeah, when we're desperate. So if, you, if you're a client listening to this show and you have Rob Bowley working on your project, it means we don't really care about you. <laughs> <laughs> so no, not at all. Rob, Rob is now one of our project managers and he's going to talk a little bit about how we manage projects um, within Headscape and why we f- believe it's important to have dedicated project managers. So joining me today is um, Mr. Rob Bowley. Hello, Rob. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Very well indeed. Good to have you on the show. It's been a little while. It has, it has. It's weird hearing the show from above you um, rather than being... Oh yes, because you sit upstairs, don't you? Indeed. It's like do you actually hear you. it? I do. Well, it's oh, like dear. having you in a little bass bin. Oh. <laughs> so um, we kind of have been thinking for a little while that we ought to get someone on the show to talk about project management. And the idea was we'd get some high profile web design project manager to come in and talk about web design project management. Then I realised um, that I can't actually think of any. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really don't know of any kind of web design project right. managers out there, other than obviously the people that work in Headscape. Well, maybe there's a gap in the market. I maybe think there is a gap in the market. A celebrity project manager. Well, I think that's somewhat of an oxymoron. But, <laughs> but saying that aside, oh, let's shift around a bit. Yeah, so... Um, so we thought, let's get you on the show. Um, now, you've, you're quite an interesting case because you started off as a techie. Yes. And you became a project manager. Yes. And so um, let's start by talking about the role of project manager. What, how would you describe your core role? What is it that you do? <laughs> I should know this, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what you mean other than manage projects. Well, <laughs> okay, you just have to make a joke out of it. But okay. you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess um, the main thing that we do is is, is shovel shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> we deal with crap. Um, and you know, the main thing a project manager would do is it's a filter um, between um, clients and the production team okay. the project. I mean, there are a couple of stages, I guess. Um, so you've got the planning part of the job, um, which is essentially working out what it is you need to do, um, making sure you've got the resource to do it, and plotting a nice timeline so that it all yeah. fits by the time you've got a deadline. And then you've got the people side, because really project management is a people job. You need yeah. to know how to... Um, get the most out of all the people that are in your project team, mm-hmm. um, including the client. Yeah, but you need to include the client in your thinking always. Um, okay, when you when you're dealing with that, so, yeah, that's essentially what we do. It's a people person thing. I always thought you were so charismatic. That would be <laughs> it. Okay, so I mean, I guess the question is, I mean, if you look at the, the the kind of if you look at Headscape and and the way that we're organised, we've got four developers, four designers. And three project managers. I mean, that's a lot of project managers. And, uh, you know, the question is, why 
why have project managers at all? Why couldn't the designers and developers do the job? Why couldn't it be spread across multiple people? Well, justify your existence. Yeah, Rob. this question kind of makes me nervous. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm re-interviewing for my own. Job. <laughs> Although I interviewed in the first place. But. No. <laughs> um, I guess, in one sense, if if you're in a, a small project environment, um, you can almost get away with one person. Mm. If you know, if it's a one-person job, you can get away with them managing themselves yeah. for a limited amount of time. Um, but as soon as you get beyond jobs which are more than one person um, and go on for an extended period of time, you start needing to provide some glue to yeah. stick things together. You need someone to provide who's, who's got an overview of everything that's going on. You know, the developers have got a very developer mindset about the way things happen. D- designers uh, are the same way. They, they know about the design stuff. Um, but actually translating what the client wants and feeding that into both areas and bringing them together mm. um, is what's missing uh, mm. if you don't have a project manager. So, so it, to some degree, project management becomes necessary with scale. That The bigger the projects and the more complex the projects, the more need for a dedicated project manager. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess the real, the real role of a project manager in these situations is, is the facilitator. You've got all of these tools, you, which are basically your, your resources, your developers, your designers... Um, and, and you need to be able to enable them to work effectively together to produce what the end product's going to be. Um, they're not capable of doing it on their own. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's a question that I didn't pre-give you in advance, <laughs> which is always the best time. Why? Why Why become a project manager? What made you, you know, because you were, you were heading up our, our technical development team. You were, you know, you were doing very well. Why, why, why did you feel the need to get involved in what you call shit shoveling? <laughs> well, I think the, my main motivation was Headscape was growing. And um, we started employing all of these younger, more dynamic, more talented, more, more talented yeah. you know, better looking developers who were basically going to show me up. <laughs> so I figured before I got shown in true light that I really was going to be, I need to move somewhere else. <laughs> um, no, I mean, well, that's partly true. Um, but really, I think it's the people's aspect that, that I'm really interested in. I think um, a good project manager is is someone who's able to... Um, understand how his resources or her resources work and how your clients work yeah. joining the, the two together um, while, while I quite like writing code really I was never really you know, I'm not passionate about it no know? Um, and so that side of it you know I, I reached as far as I wanted to go and I, I really enjoy the people thing so, okay so I mean what other I mean what other kind of characteristics do you think make a good project manager? Obviously the people skills you talked about but what mm. other you know if there are other people out there going well actually I'm not like passionate about coding or i'm not that passionate about design but i am passionate about the web i do like the web design process perhaps project management is a way i ought to be going Mm. you know what what skills what characteristics do they need what personality traits do they need Um, i think well you need to be able to plan yeah um you know planning is is very very important if you plan well then your project will usually go well <laughs> I, like, I like the qualification in that <laughs> i mean there, there's always i mean being able to predict the future is helpful yes uh, <laughs> a, a major part of what we do in a planning stage is, is assessing risk yeah you know so we've got what what we're starting with we've got what we want to achieve and we've got a time scale and we need to work out what things might appear 
that are unforeseen yeah. um, which are going to affect us reaching the time scale so being able to foresee the future is helpful um, and yeah so, so planning um, being quite analytical and thorough you know, the logical background I have from being a programmer a developer is really helpful because you have to approach project management in a very analytical logical yeah. way to make sure you don't miss things um, so there's that side of it and then you've, the other side is the communication skills mm. you, know, you not only need to be able to communicate with a client effectively so they understand or so that they're sure that you understand what they want yeah. um, and that they understand where you are with the project and that they're generally happy because a happy client makes everyone happy yeah. um, but you also then need to communicate that with the various personalities in your team you know, whether that's the developers locked up in a dark room who've got no social skills um, or the crazy charismatic designers who- uh, you've just gone with the stereotypes that so don't apply <laughs> if true. I look at our team no offence to our designers they're the ones that sit in the darkened room it's you know true. with their nose right pressed against the screen and the developers are the ones that are crazy and never do any work it's true it's true I could have a reading personality yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but, but you see my point you know, you've got mm. these, these almost extreme especially in the web I guess um, in the web world you've got these extremes of personalities which somehow you need to be able to um, communicate with and mm. draw together um, and so yeah that, that's, that, that's an important skill mm. I think the third area is to be quite relaxed about life right <laughs> because things will go wrong and do go wrong um, doesn't matter how well you plan and how well you good, how good you are at predicting the future yeah stuff will appear yeah that is completely unforeseen and will completely throw spanners in the works and everyone gets really upset and think people shout at you and it goes a bit nuts um, and if you're if you go nuts as well your project team fall apart because they look at you as the calm rudder in the yeah. storms of life um, I can feel my other project manager buddies laughing at me yeah um, but, it, but if you're calm and you, and you can not get stressed at that um, but actually see you know try and find a clear path through a very mm. stressful situation and that I would so be the worst project manager in the world. I've got the attention span of a newt. I've got no organisational abilities and I get stressed at everything. So overall, I think I fail. Yeah, stick to web celeb. Uh, Yes, I'll I'll come up with some other title that sounds good. Um, Okay, so you talked about... I mean, this really is, I can honestly say, a foreign area to to me, right? You talk about planning a project up front. Mm -hmm. I'm not a planning person, Right. right? And... There seems to be so many variables involved in a project and so much, as you say, that can potentially go wrong. Mm-hmm. How do you plan it? I mean, you know, the, the kind of thing that always you always talk about when you talk about project management, these endless Gantt charts that seem to be out of date within about five minutes of kicking the project off. Yeah. How do you effectively plan a project? Um, well, we do use a Gantt. We always start a project with a Gantt. Um, and because it seems that's what project managers are supposed to do, so right. <laughs> justify the title with again. Um, but you do need. I think assessing risk is something that that is is vital in successful project management. And it's something that we've been doing in Headscape um, increasingly more over the last year or so. We realise this need to actually spend time highlighting what could go wrong here. Okay. Um, so you look at, I, I, I'm not going to be able to think of any examples now, but a, a particular, say you're building a shop or something. Yeah. Um, so potential things which could delay that project would be the client not getting around to telling you what the products are in the shop. Yeah. You know, content population is a big risk on meeting a project deadline because it is out of your control. Yeah. Um, if you say, 
I need the project, I need the content by this day, or you need to put the content in by X day. Yeah. The client doesn't do it, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm guessing integration must always be a big risk, integrating with third-party exactly. applications. So if you've got some sort of third-party database or a web service, you've got to pull in something that's, you know, you've done a bit before, but maybe you don't know anything about, that's a risk. Yeah. Because you can guesstimate what's going to happen, but it's unforeseen. Mm. And so the trick is basically to find all the tasks which have these risks and then multiply the length of time you're an hour for them. Right. <laughs> By some <laughs> random, random amount. Random number. Um, yeah, and then make the rest up as you go along. So what about once the project gets going, How, what techniques and tools maybe do you use for monitoring and controlling the process and trying to keep on top of everything? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of tools out there, obviously, um, lots of funky web-based ones. Mm. Um, there is no substitute for talking to your team. <laughs> um, trying to run projects via email or Basecamp or something is, is impossible without talking to your team. So communicate. You know, yeah. it's, it's a big part of what, what we do. You have to talk to the people doing the work. You have to talk to the clients. Um, you have to keep the lines of communication open. Mm. Um uh, but as far as actually, you know, um, keeping track of what's going on, we do use Basecamp, uh, which is great for managing uh, lists. Basically, that's, yeah. that's what's good at you manage lists. And so, from our our Gantt chart, we'll break it up into a series of of tasks, if you like, wide areas. Yeah. Um, and then we obviously we assign those out, and as people add comments to them and tick them off, you know, we've got kind of an overview yeah. of where the project is. Um, and hopefully from there we can obviously you know when, when we've got the Gantt chart we've got some dates and we set milestones with fire reminders you should have done this by then yeah and you get the reminder oh bugger I haven't done that um, and so you use that to kind of keep track of, of where you are cool what about so that's kind of dealing with the, the internal side of things what about when it comes to the client I mean you talked about you said earlier um, a, a happy client makes everybody happy kind of thing <laughs> so how do you keep your client happy what what are the things that really or perhaps turn it around the other way what are the things that really piss off a client and <laughs> you know where can it really go wrong this is really where the people side of it comes in because every client's different yeah um, some clients want you to talk to them for five hours a day hold their hand you know spoon feed the, some clients just want to know when it's finished yeah um, so Initially, when you're kind of uh, trying to assess your project team, if you like, your resources, what you've got, assessing the personality of your client is early on will really put you in a good place. Right. Um, but I, I guess general principles, if you're honest, yeah. it helps. Mm. Um, so be realistic about what you're telling your client is going to happen. Yeah. Don't promise the earth by yesterday uh, because then you won't deliver and then they'll get upset. Yeah. Um, if there's going to be a problem, if things have slipped for some unknown reason, then tell them. Yeah. As soon as you know, tell them as quickly as you possibly can. Mm. Um, manage their expectations is kind of a phrase that we use a lot. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to manage your client's expectations so that they are not expecting something you can't deliver. Mm. Um, and then that limits the amount of mm. upsetness they, they get. <laughs> Slippage is a big one, isn't it? It's kind of a whole area of, you know, things like, well, the problems that you kind of face, things like slippage, scope creep non-delivery I mean how do you have any kind of broad techniques for dealing with these kinds of things or is it just a kind of communication thing again it's mainly I think a communication thing um, part of the planning stage is obviously trying to say trying to assess those risks and so you try and build in contingency mm. to cope with those and if you're building enough contingency you deliver the project early and that makes everyone really happy yeah um, even if you've, it's a long project you deliver it early you've exceeded their expectation yeah so 
Um, so I think if something's going to slip, I think it's just the same. You've, you've got to be honest. Sometimes things are just out of your control. You know, you're two weeks before the end of a project, you're in the middle of snagging, your lead developer goes down with appendicitis. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Um, and so you just need to communicate that with the client and, and hope they take it well. <laughs> <laughs> so wishing that everything works out. I like that approach. Okay, so... Um, What's the, let's finish off with just a kind of piece of generic advice. So either people starting out in project management or those that have had project management foisted upon them. (laughs) You know, what's the kind of one piece of advice that you would leave with people? Get to know your team. Right. I think that's the main thing I would say. Um, It's kind of like, you know, when when you're driving a car. Yeah, um, your environment is is a very organic, dynamic thing. You've no idea really what's going to happen, and yeah. the only thing you've got to get you through it is that you understand your car. Mm-hmm. You know almost instinctively how to how it works, how you drive it. How if if you get to that situation with your team, then whatever the project throws at you, you kind of can you can deal with it. And you know if you understand how your client is going to react in a certain situation, you can instinctively deal with it, mm. and it keeps your stress levels low (laughs) you need to find ways of managing your stress levels (laughs) there we go that's great advice thank you very much rob that was wonderful i really appreciate you coming on the show my pleasure we really need to force more of our staff into appearing on the show against their will (laughs) rob's the only one that seems willing to do it but i think we ed's been on a couple of times ed's been on we also had dave on who spoke very very fast as i remember um, Ned talks very, very slow. Yes. <laughs> so we can combine them into the perfect person. Yes. Um, no, thank you. For, uh, goes to Meredith Marsh. What a cool name. Ooh, yeah. I'd love to be called Meredith Marsh. Would you? Okay. Would, from I'd, now on, you <laughs> shall be known as Meredith Marsh. Okay, perhaps I wouldn't. That was a bit of a throwaway comment already thought yes. through. On the weekend. Anyway, Meredith, um, <laughs> <laughs> Meredith has been transcribing today's interview. And thank you for doing that. Okay, let's talk about our feature for today, which interesting came across because I wrote a guest post for um, a blog on remote working and I figured that when there's quite a few people that listen to this show that work work from home or either freelancers or mm-hmm. or students even or just people that homework so I thought mm. it might be it's not really directly to do with web design so I don't know whether this is a legitimate subject or not well I'd but, like to talk about cooking and cricket and music so does that mean we can move on to these kind of things? No. Okay. It meant I was going away to South by Southwest, didn't want to have to prepare a feature <laughs> while I was away drinking, so this is what they've got. But actually, I did ask on... I, uh, there was a choice of a couple of things um, that we could have done, and I asked on Twitter, and this mm. was the response back. We should talk about homeworking, and so therefore I am. Do you know I've been now homeworking for seven years? I guess you have as well. Yep. It's a long time, isn't it? Kind of, yeah, I mean... We were cutting edge. <laughs> well, no, what I was going to say is, I mean, I used to work from home even before that. Did you? Back in the... I wasn't in the office every day. What? At Town Pages? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You slacker. <laughs> How did you swing that one? I just did. <laughs> you, just didn't, you just didn't turn up for work no, and I'm nobody not. questioned you. Because I was sort of even more salesy orientated. Um, you'd end up sort of going to a meeting in the morning... And whatever. then just and go then home. go home and go down the pub. No, I mean... You I, slacker. I made sure that um, I had my own little office. But it wasn't really until we set up Headscape that it was a... Uh, right. It now was a serious, full-scale thing. There isn't it? an office anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I think what, what 
as I thought about writing this post, I realised that it took me quite a long time to <clears throat> work out the right way to homework for me. Mm. Um, and so that's, I thought, it's quite interesting because I think it's different with everybody. So I thought it was worth talking about on the show. Um, I mean, certainly an increasing number of people, especially nowadays, um, or, you know, compared to even seven years ago, an increasing number of people are trading in the cubicle for homeworking. And, and I think a lot of people see it as the ultimate perk. Mm. But I don't know if it really is in reality. It is to start with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about that experience. So, I mean, as Marcus has already said, like many people starting a new business, we began Headscape working from home, which is great for keeping costs low. Yeah, um, that's why we had to do it. Yeah. And also, I think it's great for, um, you know, ensuring those long hours you have to put in to begin with are a bit more bearable. It's somehow better isn't it when you've worked a 12 hour day that you haven't then got an hour's commute home yeah exactly um but also i think the real appeal for a lot of people is the the feeling of kind of flexibility that it provides you know working in your bathroom working in your bathroom yeah uh bathroom (laughs) bathroom i'm not that own a bathroom showering at 11.30 in the morning i put pajamas (laughs) yes um, also, daytime deliveries is great, you yeah, know. That's true. Um, but the big thing for me was that I had a newborn son, and you know that was great because I could see him whenever I wanted. And you know, I, I I don't envy so many dads that you know they leave before their kids get up, they get back after their kids gone to bed, and they only see him at weekends, and that, mm. that just sucks. And I, but despite all of that, eventually the honeymoon period does wear off a bit, doesn't it? As time mm-hmm. goes by. Um, I mean, for me, the big thing was, you know, okay, it was great having my newborn baby at home, but he did cry quite a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a nightmare. I mean, I've got much bigger children, but when I, I hate the... the uh, you hate ho- your children? I hate my children. No, <laughs> I, I hate the summer holidays and, uh, well, any holidays, really, because they're about. And it's always like, Dad, uh, can you take me over to Jack's or, yeah. or take me to Basingstoke? It's like, that's like half an hour trip. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. Oh, go on, go on. And it's just like, go away, you're annoying me. Whereas if I was here... It wouldn't be an issue. It wouldn't be an issue at no, all. No, no. I mean, I, we are, not only was I... Ha- <clears throat> you know, there's that way around where they're disturbing you, mm. but I also had the problem with the newborn that obviously slept in the house in mm. the day that, you know, I pick up the phone and have a conversation with you and suddenly, you know, he's awake and screaming and crying because I woke him up. Mm. I mean, the other problem that I found is kind of lack of human interaction really yes there's, there's the lonely loneliness thing yeah. i also found that i would go 48 hours without going outside oh yeah <laughs> easily I, it's like I, I, 48 was was a good day or <laughs> good time yeah you can really not see anybody can't you well it's dry you know i don't like that i'm a very sociable animal yeah um i don't but saying that i mean i I think I've got it just right now. I'm probably going right through to the summer. Yes, yeah. you've now skipped um, on massively. Because I found that I was being... Well, I felt like I wasn't being as productive as I should be. Uh, working five days a yeah. week at home. Bored, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Bored. You know, I could do with talking to people. But, you know, phoning someone up... Is, is not you, the you same. You have to have something to talk about. Whereas yeah. wandering down the hallway... And going, hmm, 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 and, oh, I'm just talking to whoever. Yeah, and just stopping yeah. someone else. Stopping work. them working. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. It's far more productive. Exactly. Yeah. But I think now that I'm sort of doing three days here and two days at home. Here being the office, yes, just for people I'm that don't know we're office. at the office. Um, I really look forward to those two days at home now. Right. 
whereas doing five days a week at home was just driving me. I think I was going slightly mad. I, I mean, the other big problem that I had to begin with was um, family and friends that would pop in and chat with you. Did you have that? Well, I suppose you yeah. just talking about your kids was an example of that. Oh, yeah, and, and they still do. Yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> They do now, but I went... Well, let me, t- let me talk a little bit more about... Uh, but uh, let's talk about the biggest problem, which mm. for me was a, was a self-control issue. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you and me part company a little bit here because you talk about that you get distracted at home and you make lots of tea and, yes. and go out in the garden and stare out the window, and stare out the window and things like that. Yeah. Well, I had the opposite problem, especially in the early days... That work was always there, so I ended up oh, yeah. working a lot more. Ditto, but it was always... I'm a kind of like half an hour on, half an hour off person. Right. So, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but... Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, in the, in the first year, I, I reckon it was just like working all the time. Yeah. If you didn't work, you were asleep, basically. Yeah. Or out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, and... And that's not right. It can't, you can't sustain that. No, and I mean you. You know, you hear some of, some of the crap that's coming out of Silicon Valley at the moment. Jason Calacanis always goes on my yes, you need to work every hour. God says, well, screw that. Mm. That's not life, as far as I'm concerned. And I think it's really important to get the, you know, the work life balance. So I mean, well, it, that's what going back to South by Southwest. That's what Vinerchuk was saying. Yeah, I know, you but I work don't, every hour that you're awake. Yeah, I don't agree with that. No, neither do I. It's interesting because I like I like him a lot, but I mean, what he's saying is work every hour that God sends mm. in order to achieve what it is that you want to. You want to, you know, if you're working a full time job, but you want to be doing something different in your full time job, then you work in the evening to build up the other thing that's going to take over from your full time yeah, job. Just carries on and on. Now, I, and oh, I've got to write a book, so I'll do that. That's my extra job. Yeah. Just a nutter, yeah, basically. I, do, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's different people. Everybody's yeah. entitled to their own opinion, do it their own well, way. But... Clarkson says the same thing, talking about other famous people. I mean, he's of the attitude of, you know, well, if you go home for at tea time, you know, then, you know, you're a pussy, basically. Does he really think that? Yeah. yeah. But things are more important to me. Yeah. My family, for example, is far more important. And so the problem that I, you know, I had at the beginning is that, yeah, like you say, you're just working all the hours and, and that, that didn't work. So let's talk about, let's talk about what didn't work, where it went wrong and some of the things that I tried. I don't know, I don't think you ever worry about anything. You don't try things, you just toddle along. Mm. But for me, I tried different things. So I felt like I was missing the structure of office life. So I started off by doing, I tried to work a nine to five thirty. Mm-hmm. I even got dressed differently to mentally try and go, okay, now I'm at work time. And then when I finish work, I'm then going to be at home time. And, you know, it, I, it wasn't radical, but I would change my shoes, you know, and things like that. <laughs> Anything to try and separate out work from home because the two are in the same place. No, I still find myself turning on the PC at probably 8am. Uh, oh, emails, deal with those. Uh, maybe I'll go and get a bit of toast, coffee, sort of mm. quarter to nine, maybe. Come back upstairs, still in bathrobe. Yeah. And then it's 11.30 before I think, oh, I really ought to get dressed. Yeah. I'm, a li- <laughs> I'm actually more like that now. Not as bad as that, but I'm more like that now. But I'll come on to that in a minute. The other thing that I tried is I tried setting rigid boundaries for my friends and family. It's like piss off, basically, if they turned <laughs> up um, in the day. Um, you know, and I wouldn't, you know, I just like, I'm at work now and I'm, you know, get that through your thick heads kind of attitude. 
Um, and then also this whole feeling of isolation I, I tried to overcome with experimenting with a plethora of communication tools. We tried IM and Skype and webcam tools. That didn't work out well with Marcus still being in his bathrobe at 11.30. Not nice. Um, <laughs> so, oh, just bringing back bad memories. Um, so, but ultimately all these techniques failed. And I think they probably failed because they were kind of trying to uh, ignore the very nature of home working and it kind of had the worst aspects of both the home office and mm. the work office if that makes sense yep. um and to be honest i just became increasingly irritable with friends and family and was annoyed by the constant interruption of all these com tools i had in place <laughs> um, <laughs> and i felt trapped by the rigid nine to five regime etc so that's what didn't work i and but you you've kind of gone a different way with it to me because i because you're actually now really like coming into the office and you like having it. I like seeing people. Yeah. It's great. I'm probably still the, out of everybody in the company, the most kind of, I'm the holdout, aren't I? I'm the one that doesn't come in um, and doesn't really want to come in as much as anybody else. Um, because I love home working. So obviously something's changed over, <laughs> over this period. You just don't do much work when you're I just home. don't do a lot of work. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then you don't feel bad about it. So if you're here, <coughs> not doing anything would be boring. But at home, you've other things yeah, to do. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. It's fine. <laughs> also, people notice if you don't do anything in That's the office. Sat there like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the secret of home working is about finding a balance, in my opinion. You need to um, put up boundaries in place to ensure that you have that right home and work in, um, balance, but not to be so restrictive in your rules that it sucks the pleasure out of home working. So take, for example, working hours, right? When I used to be working all kinds of hours, um, then I tried to go nine to five and that didn't work. So what I do now is I do actually, when I'm at home, I keep a record of how many hours I've been working in the day. It's just so organized. I am an organized person. <laughs> and this might apply to some people. And, I'm fully excited. and I think that's a really important thing to say. Oh, I'll come on to that later. There's too much. There's too many articles written about home working that say you must do it this way. And it doesn't work like that. It's all, you know, it's based on a huge variety of factors depending on your, your type of character, you know, your job requirements, you know, your home working environment, all of that kind of thing all affect it. So you, mm. I don't think you can give black and white answers. You know, for example, if you work in customer support and a closely knit team, you know, then half of these things aren't going to be possible. But what worked for me was keeping a note of the number of hours I was working a week. I didn't necessarily do it a day, but I would make sure I did my X number of hours a week. So, yeah, I do tend to start around nine-ish, um, you know. But as anybody that follows me on Twitter would know, I'm a great believer in afternoon naps, something <laughs> that I've taken from Churchill. <laughs> so I feel fine about it. Try smoking big cigars as well. Yes, that too. and uh, Or taking stuff from Europeans and, who have siestas. Yes, Southern Europeans. Southern Europeans. Mm. I'm drinking copious amounts of wine in the day That's by myself in my room. That's quite sad. <laughs> um, <not really. laughs> Although I have been caught on film before, sitting in the garden, drinking yeah. wine um, <laughs> in the middle of the day. So what yeah. I've done is so that once you, if you're keeping note of the number of hours you work, you can kind of let go of... of the worry of things like interruption. So, you know, if my parents turn up at my house, I'll stop, you know, I'll stop working and I'll chat with them. You know, I might decide to go out, go and have a coffee or even I've been known to go out in the middle of the day and see a movie with Kath mm. just to spend a bit of time with her. But it's okay because I'll make up that time in the evening or at weekends or wherever else because I keep track of time. 
I don't feel guilty anymore, and I'm a great person for feeling guilty. I, I perhaps it's my Christian background that I have to feel guilty about everything, it. riddled with Catholic <laughs> guilt. Um, so, but yeah, that avoids that kind Whereas of problem. Molly don't give a toss. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's because you're a heathen. Yes, um, so there we go, and that, that works really well. For the other thing. Um, I know the, the kind of problem with that is what if you wanted to talk to me or what if you wanted me to do something and I'm out seeing a film with Kath or, you yeah. know, I'm at the coffee shop well, or whatever. <laughs> if you're in the pictures, forget it. <laughs> no, actually. That's not true. You that can't, is how true. How can you contact someone when they're watching a film? I would, no, I'll tell you. I always have my iPhone with me when I go out in the day. Right. And I always have my laptop and my 3G modem. And you sit so in the cinema. If I was sitting, <laughs> if I was sitting in the cinema, I would have my film, and my, my phone on vibrate. If it rang, I would get up and I would walk out. That's the cost, yeah. right? Okay. Of bogging off in the middle of the day, and because I've got my laptop with me, and because I've got the modem, if there is something that needed working on that instant, then I would do deal with it. Mm-hmm. But it works really well. Um, but like I say, it doesn't apply to everybody, and I can probably get away with it more maybe than some other people. It depends on the type of job you do, and I accept that. Um, <clears throat> but after saying that, you know, there are differences, but there are, I think there are some things that, that are kind of fairly universal. The first thing that... <laughs> some people disagreed with me over this when I wrote this article, but I don't think you can work off of somewhere like your kitchen table with, with you know, the kids running around. You need a separate place. Yeah. You not agree with that? Other people didn't, but I couldn't. There's no way I could work from the kitchen table. Well, it depends. If the only person, if for the majority of the time you're on your own at home while your wife's at work and your kids are at school, oh yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. No, I'm talking about. I'm talking about being somewhere where other people are. You know, if the kids or the family's about. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because uh, take for example, in the first house, not- yeah, I, I can shut the door. My yeah well so can i <laughs> they often open it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's i mean in the first the first home office that i had when when we started headscape my i was in a, a um a, a room i had a separate room with a door that closed mm-hmm. but it was right between the lounge and the kitchen and there was only a partition dividing wall between the lounge and my my office and basically you know there were people in the house the whole time and you know, Kath had to listen to every conference call I ever did, and mm-hmm. I had to listen to whatever she was watching on TV because there was just a partition wall between yeah. us. And for me, that really didn't work. Um, but perhaps for other people, it does. Perhaps I'm oversensitive. I don't know. But uh, what, compare that to now, where I've got a converted barn. That, uh, converted <laughs> barn. That's where I'm sitting in now. Oh, yeah. um, where I've got a converted garage that joins the house with a big old fire door. That I can close and, mm. you know, and that really is a separate area. And for me, that works great because it's, you know, it's kind of still at the house. So I can wander in and, you know, hang out with James when he gets back from school or whatever. But I'm still isolated enough for it not, you know, not to be disturbed with other stuff that's going on in the house. Have you got a lock? I have, but I don't ever lock it. That would be a bit extreme. <laughs> great, yeah. But I did do. I I, I did do when I went through my kind of nine to five stage. I I locked the door, and it's just ridiculous. I became a bit obsessional. I have I have that in my character. Mm -hmm. I admit it. (laughs) So what about me, you? Because your office is like upstairs. It's like a bedroom, isn't it? Basically, fourth bedroom. Yeah. So doesn't that get really irritating when the kids get home, or do they spend the whole time downstairs? Uh, I mean, from what. Yeah. Noise. 
Not really, no. I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes, if, particularly James, if, if he comes back with his mates, then I have to go in and tell them, I'm at work, go downstairs or outside. Right. With the weather um, getting better now, he comes in, rips his school uniform off and goes straight out the door again. I hope he puts something else on first. He does that as well. That's yeah. good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, he's a, he's a 14-year-old boy who's on a bike everywhere. Yeah. Okay, um, fair enough. It's a bit different, I guess. Uh, yeah, but they can be a little bit annoying. Uh, Abigail go into the kitchen and we've got um, a radio in the kitchen that is quite bassy and of course she hits the radio on turns it up and I'm it's I'm yeah. directly over the kitchen so then it's like <laughs> downstairs um, turn it off walk back upstairs again with her just looking at me yeah <laughs> um, so I mean it's not I'm ideal it. and that sometimes that does happen when I'm mid conference call with an important client that's here a team uh, but yeah James hasn't grasped yet that when I'm on the telephone, he's only six, that yeah. when I'm on the telephone, I can't talk to him at the same time. Yeah. And so he'll just yap and yap at me, mm. and it's like I'm looking at him going, phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there you go. So, um, well, to be honest, I mean, talking about phones, it's more distracting being in here, trying to be on the phone. Than oh, yeah. Home. Way more. Yeah. So... Yes, which is completely is a fair comment. I would agree. <laughs> so I think the moral of the story here is pick your working environment carefully and make sure it suits you. You know, and I think it's really important to make your work environment a nice place to be, especially if it's in your home. <laughs> what are you laughing at? My, my, my office. Um, no, it's it goes through phases. It reminds me of my when I was a teenager in my bedroom. I'm not as bad as my son, who appears to have absolutely no desire whatsoever to tidy anything up, any, e- ever. I was kind of like, it would get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then I would stay up all night tidying it. Right. Every two months. Right. And then it would get worse and worse and worse. And my, my office is the same. Right. I have blitzes on it. See, I think, if I didn't have a really nice working environment, I think... It would feel like a prison to me. I'd feel trapped because it's in my own house. Mm. And you, you like, like we were saying earlier, you can go days without going outside. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important. That it's got nice furniture for me, that it's tidy, that it's lots of light is a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, but obviously not for you. No, 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 no. You no, live no, in I, squalor. I, no, I agree entirely. I want to have a very nice, tidy, lovely office. But it's not always like that. <laughs> okay. Well, I also go. share it with the rest of the family. I mean, there's another computer in there. See, I've got I can... all my music stuff all over the yeah over the walls, and I struggle with that. I struggle paperwork for miles. Kath has a desk in my office, and she's like you. <laughs> and you can't see her desk, yeah, and it disturbs me deeply. It makes me uncomfortable on the inside. Well, it's, it's the equivalent. It's, it's the yeah, it's, I, it's to be I dealt hate, with. Stuff. I hate having these conversations with you because you make me sound so anal and so <laughs> uptight. And so <laughs> oh, God. How come it never comes away with you sounding like a slob? It always comes away with me sounding uptight. Well, you know, I guess if, if you know... If I was sounding unhappy, then I'd sound like a slob. But I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> happy in your things are. happy sitting in your own filth. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, spend a bit of time on your work environment. But actually, I, and this kind of goes back to the it, it, you know your office could become a prison and you never go out. You know, I think it's really important to get out, and that's why I like you. I am grateful to have this office that we can come into. Um, but it doesn't need to be an office you know it could be a coffee shop it could be wherever else and this brings me nicely on to where i'm beginning to go now 
which is why the rest of the world seem to be considering allowing their employees to do home working. I'm beginning to experiment with the idea of leaving an office behind entirely. Well, not entirely. That's too that's an exaggeration but certainly leaving the office behind more often whether it be at home or work and this came about from reading a book four hour work week which there's loads in that book i disagree with um and the guy gets quite up my nose at a number of occasions but he did start me thinking about well why am i sitting at a desk you know doing this work um, now, admittedly, if you're a designer, there are, there are constraints, you know, about you need a nice big monitor and, you know, proper lighting and all the rest of it. And again, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but for me, where the most of the time I'm typing, you know, emails or documents or yeah, doing so. wireframe, it's like, well, why, why do you necessarily do that sitting at a desk, whether it be at home or it be here? Um, Take, for example, the po- this post that this is based on. Mm. You know, we were flying 30,000 feet above the Atlantic when I was writing this on our way to South By. Mm. Um, you know, I could still blog. There was Dave and Craig sitting in the, the row in front of us installing .NET on a Mac. And there's you sitting next to me building a wireframe. Mm. And we're doing all of this flying across the Atlantic. So, you know, really, as long as we've got a computer, we can, we can work anywhere. And it's even easier when you're on the ground. <laughs> because when you're on the ground, you can have a 3G modem up and running which gives you internet access and combine your iPhone and your laptop and everything else, mm. you've got a mobile office. You can work from anywhere, is my logic. And, of course, this approach isn't without its, you know, challenges. Um, you know, if you've got a modem, um, then that's great when you're in the UK, but it gets expensive, you know, if you're abroad. So I couldn't suddenly, you know, I don't know, go and work out of South America, you know, very easily. Although with Wi-Fi, it's beginning to get very easy. For any amount of time, you just buy the equivalent version wherever else. Yeah, mm. exactly. Um, but I think that probably the most significant barrier actually is a mental one. Um, you know, in the same ways, it takes time to work out the best approach to work from home. I think it takes time to work out the best approach of working while you're traveling or out, out elsewhere. So I did a little experiment over the summer. Um, after I spoke at IWMW um, up in Aberdeen, um, I did a, an experimental road working trip thing um, where I then went for went across to the Highlands of Scotland with my family and they came up with me and we took a week's holiday and decided that I would also work for a week too as an experiment. I have to say it didn't go that well. Um, the kind of temptation of the great outdoors and family fun um, was just a bit too great. And so... It worked out all right that I was working one week over a two-week period. Mm. I managed to do a week's work over two weeks, but obviously that wouldn't be sustainable over any length of time. So I hadn't quite worked out the right way of doing it yet. Um, But I think we'll get there. You know, it might be a case of, well, perhaps I need to get up earlier and then stop at lunchtime. Because what I did is I tried to free up most of the day, then work from about four through the evening, and it was just knackering me. It was I couldn't do it not after a day of going out and doing cool stuff to then come back and work through the evening. But perhaps if I got up early and stopped lunchtime or or possibly having a long siesta break in the middle of the day and then working a bit into the evening and a bit early in the morning. You know, the possibilities are endless for how you can kind of, you know, skin these things. Or possibly, you know, you work a seven-day week but only work part of the seven-day week. You know, What's there's that? lots of ways you can do it. I met a guy when we went to, to Rhodes last year who's... Who was basically the father of one of my daughter, one of my daughter's friends, happened to be in the town just a bit further down the road, 
and they go to this place it's a it's, it's a friend's villa and they go there every summer and they go for six weeks yeah and he works the morning every day yeah so basically he's taking a three week three week holiday ah so he will work seven days a week no no he'll, he'll work, work five he'll days work, a week but he'll take a three week but holiday he only works half a day right i'm with every you. day so oh, effectively good. he's he's if you like having a three week holiday yeah but he's in Roads for six weeks every year. Yeah, I think. And great, why not? Mm. What would stop us doing that, to be frank? Meetings. Well, yeah. Uh, meetings is the only thing. And probably I'm in the best position out of everybody to do that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it is, it, it is interesting. It's like, well, why, where does this mentality of being stuck in, you know, offices come from? I'm not, you know, I, I don't think it's as necessary as much as we think it is. Um, but, you know, it depends on your job. And hopefully there's some stuff here that, that was useful. It was a bit of a rambling conversation, but the odd rambling one every now and again. Yeah. We don't ramble very much. So no, no, we, once we're, in a we're while. normally very factual. Yes, straight to the point. <laughs> hopefully that was a useful discussion for people. I think that about wraps up this week's show, really. It does, yes. And um, we've gone on for ever again. Is it a really long one? Yeah. Well, well, it depends how long the interview is. The interview is only 16 minutes long this um, time. Well, sort of normal time then. Normal time. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for listening. Marcus, do you have a joke this I week? I do. Quite a cool. long one. Oh, good. Actually. Just to, to drag the show out for a bit longer. Uh, oh, I should have looked up who gets sent this to me. Sorry. Um, a burglar broke into a house one night. He shone his flashlight around, around the empty room, looking for valuables. Sorry, I'm going to start yeah, this again. Did, uh, see, now this... Looking for look, look, I think, look, I think look, last look. week's show should have taught us <laughs> that it's time to stop the jokes. I'd love to stop the jokes, but yeah. I'm going to read this one. Now, it's just where, the, where it split the sentence. I, it looked like it was the end of, my, end of the paragraph. Anyway, right, start again. I might even, even edit this out. No, you won't. <laughs> a burglar broke into a house one night. He shone his flashlight around the empty room looking for valuables when a voice in the dark said, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> he nearly jumped out of his skin, clicked his flashlight off and froze. When he, heard no- when he heard nothing more after a bit, he shook his head and continued. Just as he pulled the stereo out so he could disconnect the wires, clear as a bell, he heard, Jesus is watching you. Freaked out, he shone his light around, frantically looking for the source of the voice. Finally, in the corner of the room, his flashlight beam came to rest on a parrot. (laughs) Did you say that? He hissed at the parrot. Yes, the parrot confessed, then squawked. I'm just trying to warn you that Jesus is watching you. The burglar relaxed. Warn me, huh? Who in the world are you? Moses, replied the bird. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people would name a bird Moses? The Same. kind of people that would name a rock Viola Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's so much funny a second time round. And now I've said that, you can't edit out your cock up. <laughs> oh, yes, I can. <laughs> well, we'll see. Actually, that was a good one. I liked that. I did work it out just at the end. Yeah, but it's a good problem, you know, these jokes. Especially when I tell them. So yes, obvious. because you get so long to think about yeah. it because you have to do it multiple times. Um, okay. <laughs> Got it in one more time just to make sure. Right. Thank you very much for People listening. People aren't going to understand that comment now. No. <laughs> okay, you're just going to take out the I'll take it out anyway. <laughs> so I just look stupid. Yeah. yeah. I don't like you being the editor of this show. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for listening. Check out the show notes, baragworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 158. Follow me at boagworld on Twitter and follow Marcus at Marcus67. Correct. And uh, thank you very much. Speak to you again. Oh, no, no. No. We won't speak to you again next week. 
you get the northerners because <laughs> I'm on holiday but I'll see you the week after I'll speak to you the week after bye 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 hello world of Boeing it's like being on David Letterman Join our forum at boagboard.com forward slash forum.